What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Headstrong. I am your host, Nick Comedina. I have such an amazing episode for you. I'm with my good friend, Gina Scofolio. But before we get into this podcast, this highly, highly, highly anticipated podcast, I have to give a shout out to the two podcast sponsors. Number one, Megafit Meals. You guys know it. You hear me talk about it every single podcast on my Instagram. Amazing quality meals delivered straight to your door for arguably less than you're going to spend eating out, meal prepping, and cooking, and you save all your time. I am an absolute man child, and I hate going to the grocery store. I hate meal prepping. So having quality meals that I can just pop into the microwave or pop into a pan, eat them in five minutes, and get back to work is invaluable for my time, my sanity, and getting my abs get, <laughs> getting my abs back. Podcast <laughs> sponsor number two. Rise, the best event that you still have not been to. Our next Rise event is in Austin, Texas, November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th. This is a three-day all-inclusive event. I'm even feeding you breakfast, lunch, and dinner all three days. Come out and join us. Breath work, meditation, so much teaching, so many networks, or so much networking, sorry. Workshops, we've got breath work, meditation. I think I already said that. It's going to be an amazing event. Get out there. See you guys there. All right, let's dive into this podcast. I'm here with my very good friend and trauma bond partner, Gina Scopolio. (laughs) Gina, I I honestly cannot believe that it's been this long and we have not podcasted before. Yeah, when I looked at the timeline, I was like, wow, it is... It is. It's been a long time and I think this is way overdue. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So... uh, we're just going to go ahead and dive in. Why don't you just tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do right now, and then we'll we'll go back to kind of the genesis of us meeting. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Gina Scafolio. Uh, my first introduction is I'm an IFBB bikini pro. That's probably my favorite thing ever right next to coaching. So I'm also a health coach. Do a little prep coaching as well. I live in San Diego now. We used to live right next to each other, but yep. sad to see you go. Maybe you'll come back someday. I will. And uh, yeah, I have uh, my little dog and I love mindset work, personal development, gone through a long journey over the last several years. So I'm excited to be here. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're in, I mean, just from all the time we've known each other, I think it's really easy for me to say that you are in the best place that you've ever been in ever right now. Yeah, I would I would have to say so. Yeah, and that's really exciting. Really exciting to be there. Yeah. And it was I know the road that it took to get here. <laughs> yeah, you got to see it firsthand. Yeah, and you got to be a big part of it, which was really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Okay, so let's, let's dive in. Now, obviously, there's going to be some some stuff that comes up in this podcast. And I think everybody understands it. But we are, we are here to share these stories with the intention of helping serve people not damning people or anything of the sort. So we just ask that our audience please respect these teachings and these perspectives because we're just doing them to try to help you guys. So Gina, let's let's talk about how you and I first met. And I want to hear it just from your side first, you know, and we'll just kind of go from there. Well, the first time we actually met was at EDC Orlando Orlando. 2019. Yep. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know much about you. 
I just saw we were thrown into a big group chat. I don't know who was the common link, but there was someone and they made a influencer meetup. I think that's what they called it. It was like a big influencer meetup and they that's threw so... our name. I you don't remember that? I don't remember that part. That's super yeah. interesting. We were in this big group chat. There was probably 20 people. So they were like, I don't know, meet at the common grounds or whatever it was. Day one, we met up. You were with your ex. I was with my ex. There was a bunch of other people there. And we just said hello. And all four of us just started vibing. We uh -huh. had a great time. And we ended up not really hanging out with the other rest of the group. Right. And I remember we had such a good time that night. And my ex and I had planned on just going home. Just doing that part. one day because we, yeah, we had another festival coming up. We had Freaky Deaky. Like we had just gone to Freaky Deaky. Uh -huh. So we're like, we don't need to go to three days of EDC. We'll we'll just go to one day. We'll go home. So we drove all the way back home to Tampa. And then we were messaging each other, our, our group of four. Like, I miss you guys. Hope you had the best time. And then day two, you guys went without us. And day three, woke up in the morning. Yep. And we're like, you guys should come to day three. Just come. You won't. You won't. Yeah. And we decided last minute, threw our shit together. I picked out an outfit in like five minutes, drove across town, like three hour drive and ended up going to EDC day three. That, that was day. arguably, that was that was arguably one of the best days I've ever had at a festival, too. I Yeah, it was so much unreal. Fun. Oh, that was such an unreal day. Yeah, I, I remember that vividly. Yeah. And then our our friendship really just started growing and then we all moved to houston yeah well we had some other friends that were living in missouri we had some friends living in kansas we had there was people all over the u.s and we had this little friend group and we decided we loved each other so much that we were all just going to move to houston and be with each other and i think there was definitely some validity and and realness to the depth of that friendship. Absolutely. But there is also there is also a lot of, you know, you have a lot of good feelings and you show your best self at a festival and there's no other troubles in the world and your egos aside and you get to really know someone for who they are deep down without the ego. But in reality, we don't we That's don't always reality. walk around. Yeah. Like that. That's it's not reality. Yeah. Yeah. So that was the beginning of it. And it was definitely a really cool thing that we did to all come together. But there's definitely some hiccups along the way. Well, yeah, let's. So there was there were initial hiccups between your and I's relationship mm -hmm. and friendship oh, in yeah. that group. And oh, yeah. now look, it's so funny to us now looking at because like Gina and I, for everyone listening, Gina and I are like super close. I mean, arguably one of my best friends. And it's just so funny to see where we were at when we first started and i mean like we were we were you I, you mentioned that we were enemies <laughs> we were frenemies we were forced to be yeah. friends because we were in the same friend group we literally saw each other probably five days a week because our whole group would go to the gym together yep. and like so you we were really good friends with my partner i was really good friends yep. with your partner and so everyone was, was friends with everyone yes yeah. <laughs> I had Except a thing us. out for you. Fuck this guy. <laughs> what do you think that was? Why 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 did we have I, that? 
I think that was pure ego on yeah, both ends. I agree. And you, I mean, you have masculine energy, obviously. I was just living through my masculine energy. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also part of it was just the masculine, masculine butting heads. Oh, yeah. But I think a lot of it was ego. And, you know, I took things the wrong way. I had that anxious attachment style not just for my partner, but for friends. Mm. So I would make assumptions oh, and I would assume I remember, the worst. I remember I, that. Oh, I remember clearly. I remember oh, very wow. clearly. You should, let's talk about that because I think a lot of people do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was at the very beginning. We were planning out another festival and we were in this big group chat. And <laughs> is this the VIP tickets? <laughs> this is the VIP tickets. <laughs> Yes. So Nick was like, everyone get your tickets for this festival. I was like, you guys, we got to get VIP. I was like, we got to get VIP. It's only $100 more. We got no lines to the bathroom. And I'm someone I like. I like my luxury bathrooms. All right. I'm not a fan of the porta potties. You have some porta potty stories that I'm surprised didn't scar you for the rest of your life. (laughs) But (laughs) Nick was like, no, we're not doing VIP. And I just took it the wrong way. I was like, why not? And me and Nick were kind of just butting heads in the group chat. And then after a little bit, Nick was like, all right, I'm done with this chat. He was focusing on whatever he had to do for the rest of the day. And I'm sitting there in bed alone, bored, waiting for him to respond. Mm. And then I remember seeing you, you were posting on your story. I think you had responded to a text directly to my ex. So I was like, well, now Nick's mad at me. Now Nick's mad at me and he's not responding to me. And I just came up with all of these different scenarios in my head, assuming the worst. And now in the state of mind that I'm in, I can see it from the perspective of, okay, he needed a little break. Maybe he needed to cool off. Maybe he wasn't even offended in the first place. And it's just me being offended or me being triggered. Maybe he didn't even see there was a response in the group chat or the notifications are silenced. But at that time, I just assumed he's mad at me. He doesn't like me. He doesn't want to respond to me. Great. Now me and Nick have beef. And that's how it started. And we did. Yeah, we we had so much beef after that. I mean, it was like, I I, I literally remember the VIP conversation. I do. And like, <laughs> yeah. it was, it was honestly just me being so stubborn too. Because like you said, it's just ego versus ego. Like I could have. Yeah. I, there, there was absolutely no hesitation to me at that time being able to afford an extra hundred dollars, but I just yeah. because it wasn't my idea, it wasn't a good one, you know. And it was the and, principle. Yeah, it was the principle. It was like I'm the I'm the top dog here. How dare you? And <laughs> yeah, I just remember ever ever after that, it was just there was so much tension, and mm-hmm. neither of us knew how to have a conversation. So we just continued to be super passive and super, uh, I don't even know another word to use, but there were just so many stabs throughout group mm-hmm. texts and in person and that, and it was just like, yeah, it was this massive energetic tension between us and we didn't know how to navigate it. No, and I felt stuck. And one of my toxic traits is used to be was, that I would yeah. just cut people it used to be that I would just cut people out of my life. Mm-hmm. I wasn't feeling it. I was like, we're not aligned. And in most situations, I would just block their number, never talk to them again, because I didn't understand how to 
communicate clearly and effectively or set boundaries. And so I felt stuck. I felt stuck in that situation because I had to be frenemies with you at the very least. Mm. I had to at least pretend that I liked you because <laughs> I would see you every day. We would so our whole group, we would go to the gym every single day yep. together, probably probably five days a week. Yeah. And then every single weekend we would do something every and weekend. It was always alcohol or drugs. Every- Oh, oh my God. Yeah. There's always substances involved for sure until the very, until the very end. And I do, I don't know if you remember how that did turn a little bit at the end. And I tell that story to my clients because it's pretty cool, but for the probably 90% of the time that we were all friends, there was a lot of substance involved and that didn't help. I mean, dude, when we, when we went on those because there was, I think it was 20, it was 2020, I think, where we went to like nine music festivals for the year. And I mean, yeah. in I mean, none of us were shy on drugs, you know, like I was doing seven, nine points of Molly a night, cocaine, mm-hmm. ketamine, acid, shroom, like, I didn't give a fuck, shots. Then somebody yeah. would pull out a joint and we'd be like, yeah, why not? It was, it was, it was always shots o'clock, insane. shots o'clock. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't peer pressure because nobody was pressuring anyone. Oh, we and were no all one would it. have been. Yeah, no one would have been like, oh, you're lame. No one, no one. Everyone just was like, oh, I'm in. If they're yeah. all in, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, there was, was no question about it. 100%. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that in itself, I think doing <laughs> copious amounts of drugs yeah is already an issue in itself because of what it does mentally and emotionally and even with your ability to you know you you get all your down regulated down regulated systems then you go back into a scenario where we have some sort of energetic tension between us and those get 10 times worse everything was distorted everything was very distorted and very confusing it was very confusing in many different ways because some some of those drugs they have their place and if you use them in moderation with the Absolutely. right intention there's so much benefit let's just say mushrooms for example mm-hmm. or even mdma yep. there's a, a part of those drugs that brings your ego down and allows you to connect with people on a deeper level without yeah. the ego Absolutely. so sometimes you know nick and i would do some molly or at, at the time i wasn't into psychedelics i was in such a poor headspace that I didn't feel like I can handle it. Mm-hmm. So my go-tos were that. alcohol and Molly. And that was something that I have a history of history with since I was 19. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something super new to me, but we definitely re-sparked that, that whole scenario or the whole, you know, kind of those things for me. Yeah. And so you and I would connect, we would apologize to each other. We would have some kind of conversation and I would think, oh, great. Everything's great now. And then we would return to reality and a few days would go by, maybe a few weeks, our egos go back up, mm-hmm. our walls go back up. We go back to our normal headspace and probably worse because now we don't have any serotonin. Now our dopamine's drained <laughs> and, and then things would sometimes end up even worse. Mm-hmm. Back, yeah. at, back at square one. Yeah. And what was super interesting is I would, I would remember us having those, those heart to hearts when we would, you know, go off and talk for an hour and 
that mm-hmm. I remember being met with almost questioning from your partner and my partner at the time of like, is there something going on between oh, you guys? Yes. I feel like you yeah. guys are always talking. What's going on? Are you sure you don't, like, do you want to, do you want to be with Gina? And I would, I, I would be like, what the fuck? Absolutely not. <laughs> I'd be like, ew, gross. Yeah. And I was so confused <laughs> as like, why that continued to come up. And then, yeah. you know, obviously we kind of found out what was really going on there. Um, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And so, you know, I don't I don't think at, at this point in time, I do have a lot of new followers since that time happened. So uh, just to really quickly and non-judgmentally catch everybody up to speed, um, Gina's partner and my partner were having an affair with each other. And it was extremely hard to, to navigate for both of us. Mm-hmm. And so I, there were times where I'm trying to remember how this started. I believe he expressed Perhaps. love. He expressed that he had feelings for her to everyone while you guys were still together. And so, then I want to, I just, and like, we're not going to focus on them, but I, I really want to focus on that internal space for you and how you had to navigate through that. What what, what came up for you? What dark places did you go to? Um, Wow. So our situations were a little bit different because when they realized that they had feelings for each other in one sense i'm not gonna say in every sense but in one sense he did the right thing he told me he wasn't in love with me anymore he said i have feelings for someone else i would never cheat on you so we have to break up and so i respected that and i remember asking that same night i go well who is it and when he told me who it was i first it was shock It was shock because I had no fucking idea. Mm -hmm. I was, it just went right over my head, did not pick up on anything. I had no clue. And so the first reaction was shock and almost disbelief. And then even in that moment, I just stood there in silence for probably two minutes, which is a very long time. That's a very long, that's a deafening silence. Yeah. I stood there for two minutes and then I go, it makes sense. I think you guys would make a great couple. And we broke up. And then, of course, I go out of that shock state and ended up regretting that I just accepted the breakup, mm-hmm. begged for him back, begged with my life. We ended up well, getting back together. So hey, I want to, I'm, I'm going to ask some more intros, introspections, if you're yeah. okay with that. So Go for when, it. Let's when do you, it. Yeah. When you, when you got to that space where you realized, okay, I've accepted this breakup and then the emotional dust kind of settled. And, and then you yeah. went into that mode of, like you said, literally begging for him back. What was like, what was the internal story in your head of why you, you, you know, cause obviously begging is not a position that a woman of your status sh- should ever find herself in. But you did mm-hmm. because you had, and for, for my observation, kind of lost yourself 
in that. So I'd really be interested in what that internal conversation was of, I need to beg this person to love me. There is multiple levels on of this clearly, but mm -hmm. one level was that we had told each other for five years, I can't live without you. Mm. You are my person. I cannot live without you. And that was the story that we told ourselves and each other probably daily mm. so for you five felt, years. So you felt like you weren't going to be able to live without him. I could not live without him. Wow. I was like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm literally going to die. Wow. And then... The next part was my identity was not just me. I didn't have my own identity. It was me and my ex. It was never just Gina. It was mm. Gina and him. Mm. We were a unit. Wow. And that's, that's for, huge. For, for the majority of our relationship, we were inseparable. And we were very attached, of course. And I, even when things were the worst, because we had some... We had some beautiful years and then things got really, really difficult. And even at the very worst, I never considered leaving him. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to get my own apartment. I'm going to move out. Maybe he'll grow up. Maybe he'll change. Maybe I'll change. Things will get better. That was my solution was maybe I need to get my own place. But it was never we need to break up. We're not right for each other. In my mind, this was my person. We had found each other. This was my soulmate and I couldn't live without him. Mm -hmm. And I was so sure and so certain that this was my person. I remember that whenever, whenever he was saying, you're not my person, we're not going to be together forever. My whole world was shattered. Mm -hmm. Everything that I believed, everything that I truly believed and trusted was just gone. Do so you, that's. And so did that really actually i remember us having these conversations when we worked together we'll get to that later but i remember you having this space of i i can't trust myself anymore because i was so sure it was him i there was not one little shred of my body that questioned whether he was the person i was going to spend the rest of my life with mm. i was so sure and so when that was a rude awakening of you're wrong in my head. That's what it was to me was you were wrong this whole time and you're wrong now. So how <laughs> could I possibly know when it is my person? Yeah. If I was so sure for five years and I was wrong, then how do I know this next time? That's hard. And I struggled trusting myself when dating and, and those future relationships because that trust was shattered. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we'll we'll get to that part later. But I'm um let's go back to this. So you're begging, begging for him back. You guys get back together, and now what's going on mm -hmm. in, in internally for you? So I thought he was just having a moment, in a way, because <laughs> I was in a. This was probably me in one of my worst head spaces. Yeah, and I think that's that's the same truth for me as well for that timeline. Yeah. I had just competed. And when you, when you compete, when you prep, unless you're very, very conscious, it's going to typically put stress on all areas of your life and your mental health It can mm -hmm. be very, very taxing on your mental health. And then afterwards you're left, you're not on your mission anymore. You're not 
working towards this awesome thing and you have no hormones left and your metabolism is fucked up and you have an identity crisis. Sometimes I've gone through multiple identity yeah. crises yeah. after prepping. And so I was in my worst headspace for about three months before the breakup. And mm. he had been in a terrible headspace for like three years. And I was like, if I could stand by your side for three years and put up with your shit, mm. you can't put up with my shit for three months. Oh, Seriously. Okay. Like, what if we were actually married? If we were actually married, would you just be gone? I was like, you put a ring on my finger. That's that you're promising me that we're going to work through our shit together. And so when I. Oh, my God, I, for, in, I forgot you guys were engaged. We were engaged. Yeah. And the only reason we hadn't gotten married, at least on a surface level, was because we was money. I wanted like a big fancy wedding. And we were like, well, let's let's save up. Let's buy a house. Let's do all these things. And then we'll have the big wedding. And now I see there's probably other reasons we didn't get married. Sure. And thank yeah. God. All, all blessings. But, but... When, but when I put that perspective out for him, he was like, that makes sense. You're right. Mm -hmm. And and so that was when he you was guys like, got back together was when you brought that to his attention. We only, but we only got back together for a week. And within that week span was when you guys all went snowboarding. I had just gotten my boobs done. So I was stuck in bed. I stayed home, which that's also pretty messed up. I think my partner should have been there after my surgery. But I was like, just go, just go have fun. Don't stay back for me. So I'm, you know, home alone, got my boobs done in bed. And everyone else is snowboarding on this trip. And that's where they confessed feelings for each other in the hot tub. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Okay, so then that was a whole and then you guys broke up shortly after that once you found that out again. Then I caught him lying to me and he was never a good liar. And whenever he lied to me about because they had met up afterwards, so he would he came back from the chip acting extra weird. And then they had met up and to talk about everything. And I caught him lying to me. And when I caught him lying to me about her, after we had just decided to get back together and work on things, oh, I was I like, see. all right, yeah. we're over. So we had only gotten back together for that week span. That's when all of that shit went down. And then I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to move out and and. Yeah, you. you I, I remember you. You just went full blown. Like, all right, fuck it, I'm gone then. And you really, yeah, you really stepped up and just just exited yourself from that situation. <laughs> Something that I didn't do for a year and a half. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. Oh, I was gone for a couple months. I think three months. I was in my own place, own apartment, and our group was still all hanging out. Sometimes I would go. Sometimes I wouldn't go. And then he came to me and it was like the opposite situation where he was asking for me back. He was like, if I can't make myself happy, how could I possibly be happy in a relationship? I'm just filling a void. This is this person is actually not who I love. You're who I love. I was just confused. She was filling all the voids that I was missing from our relationship. So then we ended up getting back together for a few months. Yeah, it's it's so funny because. As you're saying it, I'm re-remembering it, but there were, it, yeah. during that whole, what was that, a two-year time span, there were so many back forths, ups, downs, flips, and flops 
that I, it's, it's so hard to even go back and keep up and remember them. Yeah. I remember clearly because well, yeah, yeah, we you, had, I was, well, yeah, of course, but you were in that situation longer than I was. And you had a lot of ups and downs and lots of, there's a lot more intricacy with your separation. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah, I could see where the confusion or like where you would forget certain things about mine, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That I, Dude. yeah, it was so I'm just trying to piece that, that section of it. Cause I do remember the, the confession of the feelings for one another and that, that, really kind of rocked my whole world you know he was a brother to me and so to mm -hmm. to see all of that really made me just same thing question everything that I knew to be true and mm -hmm. started questioning my own discernment and trusting other people and trusting myself and it was just kind of met with every time I would ask my partner about it, it was met with, well, I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. I was really drunk. I was really drunk. I was really drunk. Oh, and no. so then I didn't know who was lying. I didn't know who was telling the truth. And it just, it just really led into all of these, these different paths. And again, I wasn't, I wasn't healed enough to be able to sit down and find the truth because I was scared of the truth. So I would hear one side and hear the other side and whatever side felt better in my nervous system at the time, I would say that has to be the truth. And so it was really easy for me to just take the words of my partner and think, okay, well, he's just crazy and selfish and wants what he wants and he's lying and trying to manipulate the situation and then just completely cut, cut him off because that was easiest for me to do because I didn't understand how to if that truth had been presented to me, I wasn't strong enough to walk away. So I had to pretend it didn't Another exist. Thing, I'm thinking about this as you're speaking right now is your partner was a very, very emotional person yeah, and not, not, not necessarily in a bad way, just full of emotion, full of that feminine energy. Oh yeah. And, and when you would speak to her, all of that emotion would be coming from her and you would feel it you would feel the empathy you would feel their remorse or the sadness or the pain or whatever she was feeling you would feel it with her mm -hmm. and I think that was extremely confusing because yeah. it seemed whatever her words were I think a lot of them were lies but that emotion that was coming with the words even if it was coming from a different place that emotion was real and you had to believe it you felt it mm. so that was a part that was really confusing for me because I felt betrayed as a friend. And I remember anytime I had a conversation with her about it, I would feel that emotion and I would be like, well, she must be either honest right now or she's really sorry or whatever that what she was, the words that she was giving me, I was like, it must be true. Right. Yeah. That, and that was, I, I mean, honestly, that, what you just experienced or what you just explained. And I, I, I don't want to, you know, use the term gaslighting or anything like that. Cause then it just starts painting them as really awful people or me as a victim. And that's just not the truth. I think, I think all four of us were extremely wounded 
and no one was anywhere near healed enough to have just an honest conversation, communicate, get their needs met and go about it. And so it just turned into this fuckery, truly. Shit show. Yeah. And so, but it was, it was really hard for me. It was, you know, after you had exited, it was almost every time our friend group hung out, they would find themselves together. And it would always really make me feel uncomfortable. And every time I brought it up, it would it would be a gaslight. Oh, no, we're just we're just close. He's just an emotional person. He's like my gay best friend. He's the only one that that understands. That's what it was from his end, because during that three months, I would say that was one of the stipulations of us getting back together is that you can't talk to her. You have to understand how I feel now. You can't be fun. You can't. We're going to be in the same situation. You can be acquaintances. And I think you can't be talking to her. But that was his that was his reasoning is no one. I think that's just a really good like pause lesson for anyone listening, because that was also my contingency as well. Hey, if we're going to be back together, then like you can't talk to him at all. And that needs to be Mm -hmm. cut off. And I think any time you find yourself having to put that boundary up for someone in your friend group, that should just be a very clear sign that you're, you're trying to like, I, for me, I was so, I I had come into that relationship with her already feeling inferior to her. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had this massive pedestal of being with her and mm. And almost like I was like not man enough. It was like, it was like I had, I had lucked out almost having Mm -hmm. her as my partner. So I never felt fully worthy to be with her. And in the very beginning, there were a lot of, a lot of red flags that I would ignore because I was so hopeful that I could hope like I could catch the unicorn and, and everything like that. And so it was really these types of situations it was really hard because i i started finding myself in this place where i felt so incredibly unworthy and so incredibly undesirable and so incredibly self-conscious because i kept watching that connection be prioritized over our own and Mm -hmm. instead of being able to be in the space to call that out have the conversation and then leave if it wasn't serving me I created stories in my head. And so it was, well, he's got more muscle than me. So I'm going to take more steroids. And well, maybe if I make more money and none of that was working. And that was when I started cheating as well. And it was, I found myself in such, I found myself in such this, like looking at it now, it's, it's, it makes sense. But back then it was so crazy to me because I felt so like my needs weren't being met. I didn't feel safe. I didn't feel desired. And it was like, when I found myself in that energy, I started getting hit up by a lot of women. And that was so interesting. I would get random DMS or, or anything like that. People would say things and I would, it was just this little like, huh, you find me desirable or like you, you. And so I would, I would entertain it. And then I did cheat. And it was like this weird, it was like this weird re reassurance of, okay, maybe I'm crazy. Like I am desirable. I am, I, I can be confident. I am worthy of this person's love. And it would like 
charge back up my confidence and my self-worth. And then I would have this conversation with myself of, okay, now I understand. I'm never going to do that again. And then a day later, the shame, the guilt would make me feel even worse. And then I would bring that back to the same situation with them that wasn't getting any better. And so I just, and then the cycle started where I would feel guilt and shame. And then I would, yeah. I would catch them doing things, but then I would have this internal conversation of, well, you also did something. So right. what, what, you know, what purpose or what, where's your ability to judge or be upset? And so it created even this, this space of like, fuck, I can't even like, what do I do? And then I just, that, that well, whole happens. cycle repeated over and over and over. And I remember watching that, but it happened. That cycle started bef even before that because her and I were seemingly best friends and she assumed that you were being shady, talking to other girls, cheating, whatever, before that whole situation even went down. Mm -hmm. So that was her, the same mindset that you're describing right now. That was her mindset of, oh, well, he's already doing X, Y, Z. So me and this, this, you know, my ex, it's not so bad or how right. could I, it was justification. There was justification because yeah. there was assumptions beforehand. Yeah. So it's just which, a cycle, I think on both ends. Yeah. But it's, it's what we were just talking about is nobody being healed enough to actually have a conversation because the truth was a little too scary, you know? And or if the truth was out, it wasn't, it wasn't, no one trust there was no trust yeah that's yeah you know what was what's the truth what's not the truth there was just so much the there was so much that you couldn't couldn't trust yourself you couldn't trust your partner you couldn't trust your friends now mm -hmm. it, it was a shit show yeah and you you we really are identity-based creatures so the identity you create for yourself is how you live your life and i i started living my life as somebody who was unworthy of love uh, you know, a, a scumbag who would, you know, had, had cheated on his partner and friends I didn't trust and, you know, all of these things. And everywhere I went, that was all reflected back to me. Anytime I saw him, I, I was angry because I was also angry at myself. Right. And then I was angry at him and then I was angry at her, but I was also angry at myself. And it just was this, you know, when you get in those fun houses and the two mirrors face each other and you just see like mm -hmm. infinite reflections going past. Ooh, yeah. every single reflection every single reflection in that mirror was was hate wow that's powerful and it yeah thanks just came up with it but <laughs> it yeah, <laughs> no big deal. it literally it was just no matter where i looked what i did what was said what was felt i didn't trust it you know yeah. and it was like you know him being one of my best friends and then another one of my best friends as well being involved and it was just no matter where i went i was like i can't really trust anyone right. and so or i anything for that matter so then it was like what's the point of even like i'm already a scumbag right i'm already this piece of shit i've already done bad things i know bad things are happening over there so what the fuck's the point of any of this and so it was like there was their world over there there was my world over here and then there was like the fake world that we would all put on together 
Yeah, we'd do some drugs, take some shots and make it work. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, during that time when we would all go that year, we all went to all those festivals and everything. I mean, you know, it was it was obviously extremely awkward with ev everyone there in the setting on drugs. And I wasn't there for a lot of them. I know. Remember? And that was, that was when I got that was when it got bad. And I would hear about it. I would hear about it from stories, but that a big chunk of that time I wasn't even involved because that was that was also what was the hardest part for me was I felt at the time I lost everything at the same time. Yeah. So when him and I had broken up, we were in a house together. We had bought a house together. We had our two dogs. We had our friend group, right? And so I'm no longer competing. I don't have the competitor athlete identity. Now I don't have who I thought was my soulmate, this person that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. I moved out, so I didn't have my house, which I was really attached to. I put so much work and effort into decorating it and painting it and all these things. I, I remember. I loved, <laughs> fucking loved that house. And... I he kept the big house and and our husky and it made sense you know I was moving into a little apartment mm -hmm, sure and then with my dog she had a lot of separation anxiety to begin with and she also did not not like small apartments it was a big German shepherd and we were just feeding off of each other's anxiety so bad to the point of I had to ask my mom to take her for a year mm. and so I let go of my other dog. And then I also felt like none of my friends were there for me because I think everyone was just trying to not get involved in our shit. Oh yeah. But in doing so, there was also no one was there for me. So you were dealing with your shit. We also were not really close at that time. And my seemingly best friend, I thought she was there for me. This is where the whole betrayal part comes up from on my end or for me my story but she was the only one that I actually thought was there for me and then the whole rest of the friend group was just missing mm -hmm. and so I felt like I lost everything I felt like I was alone I couldn't trust myself I couldn't trust anyone else and all of my beliefs had been shattered my whole belief system so I got to the point where I was like well, what's the point do I want to keep trying? What's the point of being here? And I hadn't been in that place in probably a decade mm. or half, half a decade, maybe longer. And it took me right back to that place for quite some time. Yeah. That's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, okay. We'll fast forward to the rest of this. Cause I want to get to where you and I kind of reconvened after this, but you know, that after you had exited, I mean, I was still in that situation for a year yeah, and, and, you know, really, I, I went almost manic, mm -hmm. you know, like it, I almost went literally insane. I mean, if I was gone for a weekend at a show and all of our friends went out and I knew they were there, I mean, I, I remember driving home from Dallas, Texas, four hours away at midnight, going 120 
trying to get there as soon as I could because I was just filled with anxiety. I mean, it drove me, it drove me insane. And the fact that I just continued to choose to stay because I didn't know who I was without that life anymore is where mm -hmm. I think a lot of people find themselves in a very dangerous situation. And, you know, seeing as that whole situation went on for a year, year and a half, and everyone knew, but nobody told me was really hard. And when I finally yeah. did, when I finally did find out the the full truth of what was going on and I was presented to it, I remember sitting down on our couch and having a conversation and I felt still so weak. I still felt like I had no power and I had all of this these voices in the back of my head of you deserve this. You deserve this. Yeah, she did it, but so did you. So you deserve this. This is what you get. And it was this conversation of like you, like I, I didn't, I couldn't see my life without her and I didn't know who I was without her. And so I just had this conversation of, you know, well, maybe in 10 years, this really won't hurt as bad. Maybe in ten years, if you know, I could, I could, I could, I could deal with this pain for ten years. Maybe it's worth it if that's what I have to go through to be with her. Then that's okay. And about two weeks went by after that truth came out. I said, "I'm willing to work on it with you." Yes. They said goodbye, and then I remember having a conversation with my friend Grant two weeks later, and I he was the first person I had ever told that I had, you know also cheated and i was like it's bubbling up inside of me and i don't know what to do and he was like dude you just gotta tell her mm -hmm. and i said okay and i and i sat her down and i said hey look you know um i also cheated on you i did it this time this time this time and instantly everything changed mm -hmm. It went, it went into like a, I fucking knew it. That's why I did what I did. I only did, I knew you were doing that. And that's why I did all this. Like, and it, I mean, it just went like this whole fuck you piece of shit, all this stuff. And well, everybody saw the social media aftermath of that. And, you know, that whole friend group. They only saw what, they only saw half of it. Right. I just want to clarify half of it because we didn't really say much, but. And I, you know, sorry. that was, no, that's okay. I appreciate you saying that. That honestly was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life when the social media outbreak happened and it was just a nonstop story of how awful I was and how much of a victim she was. And I had this conversation with myself because the only way I could have defended myself would have been proof, screenshots, photos right. that just yep. ruined her life. And we had it all. And I, but I was like, how could I possibly do that to somebody that I loved? And then there was, mm -hmm. and then seeing it happening towards me was even more challenging because then I had the conversation with myself of, if I feel this way, and she doesn't, then did, did she ever actually even love me in the first place? And that was really hard to 
to come to terms with. Um, and you know, that was the night we broke up was the night when I went out into the backyard and put the gun to my head to kill myself because I, I, I just didn't want to live without her. That was, that was it. I didn't know who I was without that life. And the thought of not being with her, I would rather be dead. And I obviously didn't, but yeah, then I'm after that, I moved to San Diego and then you moved to San Diego shortly after. And, um, so let's, I want to go back to you on this. What was your journey from when you fully exited that situation for the last time? What work did you have? Like, what, what did you have to heal in order to get to where you are now? I think the biggest thing we've already touched on multiple times was just trusting myself. And now I see that it's probably the main component of confidence is your self-esteem is your ability to trust yourself, to trust your judgment, trust your ability to walk away when it's time to walk away or to work through something when it's time to work through something. Mm -hmm. And I was so unsure of every part of me and also my identity. So that was another thing is a a theme here was my identity was completely shattered I wanted to die when Mm -hmm. your identity was completely shattered you wanted to die but it's because our identities were formed around people and places and objects yeah it was ego yeah it It was was all ego ego. it wasn't an intrinsic identity that's something that you it it doesn't matter where you go or who you're with you are you Mm -hmm. and so the the two things that I had to really heal for myself was one, creating my new identity. And one of my favorite quotes, which I've I've known this quote forever, but I didn't really feel it or embody it until this process was that life is not about finding yourself. It's about creating yourself. And mm. I think so much of us go through life thinking, I lost myself. I'm just trying to find myself again. I'm waiting to find myself. I'm trying to discover who I am. And it's like, no, you get to pick. Wow. You get you get to pick who you want to be. And I remember starting out literally with pen and paper, writing down all of the characteristics or attributes of people that I loved or looked up to, and then deciding I want to be more like that. Mm. So and, you're just mo- you were modeling after desirable traits that you found in people that you admired. Yeah. I was like, I want to be a leader. I want to be a coach. I want to be intelligent. I want to be confident. I want to be full of love. I want to really focus on spirituality and personal development and things. It was, it was attributes or things that no one could take away from me. So that was part of it. And then the other part was just learning to trust myself again, which part of it was trial and error and experiencing new relationships. But a big part of it was you were my mentor. Yeah. You you were my mentor for a while. Yeah. So yeah. working with uh I worked with you for a very long time. And I've I've also worked with um a couple other individuals that I look up to. And I think having guidance and an mm-hmm. outside perspective to call you on your shit, but also we don't realize how many limiting beliefs we have about yeah. ourselves. And having someone to reflect that to me, I think was a huge part of my healing. 
Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Something that I want to go back real quick about the, the creating yourself, because mm-hmm. it, it, what brought up to me was back in that time frame in Houston, I, I was not myself and neither, neither were you. And mm-hmm. I think it, for me, at least what you just kind of unlocked for me was because I didn't know who I was. I let, I let everything around me create who I was. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was just really aggressive, you know, and I, I convinced myself that, oh, you know, I just tell it how it is, or I'm just a very straightforward person. And it's like, no, I was just an asshole because I was really hurt. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I would get really annoyed and I would get really snappy, especially if there was alcohol involved, because Mm -hmm. I knew what was, I knew the four hour argument I was going to have that night when alcohol started pouring. And so I would always get upset. Like, do you really need to have more drinks? Do you really need to? And then it was. And and so I just would always be this really like I would I allowed everything happening to create me. Which was why I thought I convinced myself I needed everything to change in order for me to change. And so I stayed hoping hoping that things would change in my favor so that I could be a different person. And nothing changed until I removed myself, recreated myself, and then started this healing journey that I've been on. That's, that was super powerful for you to share. You gave me an epiphany. So I appreciate that. I love that. So I, I love the action steps somebody can take of writing down the characteristics and the traits of the people that you admire and learn, and then just starting to embody that on the daily. But for someone here, and I'll have you speak to the women and maybe I'll speak to the men. I think it's, it's a lot more common than most think to find yourself in relationships, whether that be platonic or romantic that don't serve you or where you're not getting your needs met and you're starting to lose yourself, but you're so afraid of change or you're so afraid to let go. And I know the story in the head, at least the story in my head was I'll never find anyone better. Right. So if somebody's in a situation like that right now and maybe resonating with some of the things that they've heard, what are some things that they can start doing to rebuild that trust for themselves and and gain that confidence to remove themselves out of that situation? What did you do, basically? I think for me, it was starting with the small things of being able to recognize what I deserve. Because when you're in that situation, your identity and your beliefs and and you, everything is surrounded about, surrounded around, I, this is my person, or this is supposed to be where I am. We have these stories that we tell ourselves. So it can start with something easier and something smaller of those, the little things that you know that you should not have to tolerate. Mm. And that's, that goes to communication and setting boundaries and having those honest conversations with yourself. It could be something as simple as I ask you not to talk to this person and you're talking to this person, right? What there has to be some action on your end that's taken. So so my I just a, not a challenge more of like a, an additional question of that is yeah. also 
what do you think advice you should give to somebody if they're in a position where they have to tell their partner, hey, because of things that you've done, don't talk to that person anymore? Here's the thing. They know that to some level, they know that they shouldn't have to do that. But we yeah. convince ourselves otherwise because we we don't want to change or we want we want to stay in this in this relationship. So we decide not to not to worry about or think into that thought too much. I think it's like a, it, it almost is, is kind of, I, I actually think I did a podcast episode on this where I talked about leadership versus dictatorship. And when mm -hmm. you're lacking in leadership, your life becomes a dictatorship. And in that mm -hmm. situation, I lacked severe leadership. And so instead of being able to lead myself out of a situation, I had to be a dictator and tell everybody how to act and perform and what they could or could not do in order to make me safe because I couldn't make myself safe. Right. I think that goes back to boundaries. And I think mm. with boundaries, we think it's telling other people what they can and cannot do. And I don't think that that should ever be the case. It's mm. about what you will and will not tolerate and what the action will be if that boundary is to be crossed. So for me, even at my lowest, at my absolute lowest, this was back to that week, the one week that we had gotten back together, right at the very beginning, my ex and I went on the, went on a trip, they confessed love for each other. They come back and I caught him lying to me. And even with shit self-esteem and I was completely tied to this person, I was like, I'm not going to tolerate being lied to by my partner. And that was the boundary you know, you can say whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. This is what I will not tolerate. And I will not be in this situation. Mm -hmm. And that's when I removed myself. That's when I moved out. That and is so, so that's so admirable to me. Yeah. Especially with all that time under the belt. Yeah. Like you went from five and, years. And so maybe to shed, I, I want everybody to listen to what she just said, because you went from five years, a breakup to you begging for this person back. You got them back they crossed a boundary and you immediately left that immediately. that takes some some gonads and it did yeah that I, just I think knew, that's super powerful i knew that that was the start of a shaky foundation if we were ever able to rebuild something because right remember after even after I moved out, I we still ended up getting back together months later. Yeah. But in my head, in my head at that time, I was like, he's not in the place where he's actually committed to me and where he can be honest with me. And I would rather be alone or dead than be in a shit relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I removed myself and I was like, whatever happens, happens. But that's that's a that's a big boundary and that's a big action step but it doesn't have to be that extreme um mm -hmm. it could be something as simple as you know you mistreat me you talk down to me i will exit the room mm -hmm. yeah. it's not you you can't do this to me it's about if no one can speak to me this way and the action step on my end is if i'm being treated in this way if we're on the phone i'll hang up or if we're together in person, I will exit mm -hmm. the room. That's a boundary. The speaking down thing just really, any, anytime I hear somebody saying that as a boundary, I always kind of cringe a little bit at at the old version of myself because that was the only way I really knew how to communicate, <laughs> honestly. Oh, 
And uh, I mean, you experienced it in that friend group at that time. I was extremely condescending. I, I spoke down to everybody, but that was, that was how I, I, you know, no excuse, but it's an explanation. I grew up without a father. I didn't grow up with any masculine leadership. And so I developed all my views on masculinity and what it meant to be the man off of TV shows or anime and you know oh, all of these things where men are super aggressive and they're challenging and they're they fight and, and so that was really how I learned to keep myself as the top dog and if I was the top dog I was safe and mm. when I would get annoyed or somebody would do something wrong I it, there wasn't a there were no questions out of curiosity there were questions out of condescendment right that was it and that was the language that that was the only language I knew how to speak and yeah. that I hurt, I hurt a lot of people talking that way and lost a lot of people, but there were also a lot of people who stayed because they didn't set those boundaries. And because I wasn't setting boundaries in my life, I attracted other people who weren't setting boundaries in their lives. Um, and when you have relationships and friendships and clients and people, and, and there are no lines everything is blurred lines. All you do is find hundreds of places to leak energy. And so everything around me had extremely leaky energy. And when you when your energy is constantly leaking, you don't have the energy to keep yourself grounded and stable. And your nervous system just goes haywire every time there's a trigger. And I was constantly on edge. I was constantly yeah. stressed, constantly anxious, constantly snappy, constantly condescending because the lower the energy, the lower the vibration, right? And low vibrations, we've got hate, we've got fear, we've got guilt, we've got shame, we've got judgment. And that was yeah. everything that was in my life attracted to me as well. Yeah, and I got to witness some of that firsthand. And I think you got to witness a lot of the things that I needed to heal before I healed them on my yep. end. And you were also there to help me, but it's uh, really cool to see how far we've come since then. Yeah, I agree. I just, that, that whole thing feels like an entire lifetime ago, which is amazing. And yeah, you know, I think just to reiterate for everybody else, it's like, I don't really, I don't really look back at that situation anymore with any sort of animosity, anger, judgment, it really was just a lot of people who didn't know how to get their needs met and were just trying to do so in the best way that they knew how. And it's a nice way to put it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a very nice way to put it. I think through all of that and the mistakes I made learning to forgive myself, learning to have empathy for myself, you yeah. like empathy is a muscle that you have to train over and over and over again. And I, I have really been putting in the reps of empathy ever since yeah. then, because yeah. that just wasn't the person I wanted to be. And I really yeah. think empathy is a superpower. Empathy isn't enabling anybody. E empathy is being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes and understand. And I can do that. And I just, I, I don't think anybody, I was gonna say go ahead. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> you go. I was just going to say, I know that nobody was really trying to hurt anybody. We were all there trying to protect ourselves and figure out what was right. 
Mm-hmm. And empathy, I used to say, was my greatest strength and also my greatest downfall. And a quote that I really like is that unconditional love is not unconditional tolerance. Mm-hmm. Know the difference. That's so good. just because you can empathize with someone and you can forgive does not mean that you should tolerate that behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's when it's time depending on the behavior and the circumstances, either some serious boundaries need to be set. Maybe that means walking away. Mm. Something that just came up for me when you said that was, I 100% agree, but I, and I feel as though there's a lot more of a difficulty when those things happen and you're the one doing them. Things that you're doing yeah. that you don't want to tolerate because you can't walk away from yourself, you know, but I think, the way that I see unconditional love is that in order for unconditional love to exist, there need to be conditions that exist in which you learn to love yourself through. So in order for you to have unconditional love for yourself, you have to hurt people. You have to make extreme mistakes. You have to do things that make you feel immense shame. And then you have to learn to love yourself through those conditions to get to unconditional love. And when you, but when you do that, that's where empathy comes into play. And when you have done something and I can use myself, for example, when I've been in situations like that, and I've played all the roles that I also played in hurting people a substantial amount, and I love myself through it, you reach such a higher level of self-love that being able to do those same acts no longer even exists in your reality because those are not those were not acts of love they were acts of fear right. fear is yeah, just I'm the absence of love mind. yeah yeah so to, I like I, I, a lot to thanks so to wrap this up for everyone i think it's like if you if you are finding yourself in certain relationships and I, I i categorize relationships green light yellow light red light relationships green light relationship co-upliftment both people are lifting each other up both people are enriching the experience yellow light one-sided relationships they're coming to you when they need stuff they're not around when you need them red light relationship no upliftment there's toleration and that's it and you really need to be hypercritical about where you put your energy into those and it should just be in those green relationships in my opinion if you find yourself in a relationship that's not a green light relationship you have to be very careful because you fall down the totem pole really quickly when you lose yourself so what are the three and if you guys like that concept i wrote a whole section of it in my book that's going to be out soon plug Um. (laughs) What are, from your perspective as a woman to other women listening to this podcast, what would you say the top three things, takeaways, action steps, breakthroughs, perspective shifts, whatever somebody needs in order to empower themselves from where you were stuck in that toxicity, begging for somebody to love you to this incredibly powerful version of who you are now? I would say number one is to learn about and really deep dive into boundaries. We just 
graze the surface, but there's books, yeah. there's podcasts, there's so many resources out there at your disposal. The internet. What's your is what was your favorite hands. what was your favorite book for boundaries? If you can think of one. Maybe a good you book. You know, I don't know. I don't I don't even know if I have read a book on boundaries, but Emily Hayden has done a podcast with someone who wrote a book on boundaries. And okay. That's something maybe we can link later or yeah, share I'll, with her. I'll find it and link. I just want to, I want to give some people some action steps. Right. Cool. So I would say understand what boundaries are and how to set them. Mm-hmm. I would say do some self-reflection on your identity and all of Ooh. the things that you attach your identity to and assess whether you you feel like your own person. If you lost all of your belongings and all of the people that you love, what are you left with? And if you feel like there's nothing left, you want to start building that now. Wow. And number three, I would say probably the concept that you just, you just went over with the green light relationships Mm -hmm. is knowing where to put your energy. Yeah. And if you're not in a green light relationship or you're not in a relationship at all romantically, it's time to start pouring back into yourself. Mm, that's so good. I would say for my men, for my men listening, but also this can be takeaways for women. I'll give you guys three as well. The biggest thing that helped me was exercising my my muscle of empathy, and I mean that mm-hmm. has really changed my entire life. Um, yeah. I mean, you practice empathy by pausing. That's it. It's the difference between response and reaction. A reaction is an immediate. A response is chosen. You sit for a second when there's a stimulus. You sit for a second when you read something or hear something that triggers you. You sit. And in that space is where you find your power. And you get that opportunity to either try to understand the person or just immediately hate them. Because hate is a human default. It is the easiest thing for us to do. It's way easier to hate than it is to understand. And so I think having empathy for yourself to realize that, because I'm still human. I hear something, see something. My immediate default is what a fucking idiot. You know, I, I have these immediate <laughs> defaults that. still to hate, but I, in that space, I still allow myself empathy to catch myself, sit with it a little bit more, and then choose a different response because I'm not going to allow the last thought or the last vibration I gave something to be hate. I will sit with it until I can give a different emotional charge towards it because that's how protective I am of my energy. Now I do not do energy leaks anymore. Number two, I think is a number two, I think is radical honesty. Radical honesty changed my entire life. I've done multiple conversations. I've done, I've spoken at events on radical honesty because it's changed my entire life. And the, the number one question that I would ask anybody to write down this question came to me in a meditation and it changed. It just fucked me up is what about the truth is making me afraid to be honest. And it's a question I had to sit with for a little bit because it's, it's a little perplexing, but when I realized I'm afraid of the truth, because if I am honest, I'm potentially going to lose this person. I'm afraid of the truth because it's going to equal loss or it's going to equal pain. So I'm not going to be honest. And I had to realize that, when I, when you speak, this is how powerful we are as co-creators. 
our truth and our words have the power to move the entire universe around for us. The second that you express your honest opinion, if I were to say, I don't love you anymore, I don't want to be with you anymore. I love you. I want to marry you. I want to, those words in that instant have the ability to move other people out of your path or further into it. And people perceive that immediately as a loss because they're not seeing the bigger picture. If I say, I don't want to be with you, I want somebody who's like this, and that person leaves, that's because the universe is shifting around to give me what I want because I'm finally being honest. So you have to be able to have that radical honesty, but also that trust that everything's going to work out for you exactly how it's supposed to if you're being honest. Oh man, Gina's connection just freaking popped off. That's crazy. I, I wonder if she'll try to uh, join back on before I finish this podcast. Um, dang, that's crazy. Her Zoom link just popped off. So number three that I would give you guys before I leave is that I think you really need to ask yourself, is this truly making me happy? And that's, it, it's such an easy question to ask, but it's an even easier question to neglect. Is this genuinely bringing me joy? Is this relationship genuinely making me happy? Am I, are my actions, my decisions, and my choices, are they genuinely bringing me joy? Do it with joy or don't do it at all. And that comes down to, and, and that's a really good audit to check in with yourself. If somebody says, hey, do you want to go to this concert tonight? And you sit with yourself for a second and go, eh, I don't really feel like I want to go, then that should be a no. But if they ask you to come and you're overly joyous about going, then you should say yes. She's back. She's back. So sorry. That's okay. Um, I was just finishing my third tip, which was basically, if you can't do it with joy, don't do it at all. Yeah. It needs to bring you happiness in everything that you're doing. So you guys made it this far, we appreciate you for watching or listening. Gina, where can they find you on social media? My main platform is Instagram. It's ginamarie.ifbbpro. My last name is Scafolio. You'll probably see it on this podcast. You can search my name on any platform. One of the only Scafolios in the world, so you'll find me. Bars. It's pretty easy. Bars. Uh, if you guys took anything away from this podcast, which I sincerely hope you did. I mean, Gina, I don't I don't know about you, but I actually was a little activated during that conversation. There was definitely some. Yeah, there was definitely some discomfort in my stomach sharing some of those things. But, you know, again, I sincerely hope that, you know, I know my audience well, but I sincerely hope you guys can just take this conversation and take the lessons from it for your own life. And I, I, again, I, I sincerely hope that three years ago, things that happened have no way, shape or form dictation on how anybody is or who they are now. Um, so I hope you guys really got a lot out of this. It was hard to share. It was hard to talk about. And, you know, both of us are a little bit triggered. That's also a little sign that there's some more healing to do for us. Yeah, so absolutely. Absolutely. That we're triggered and something else that our audience can take away too. Well, some one more one more thing now that I have to add <laughs> is this is just basically a, a an example of exposure therapy. You know, speaking a truth that you didn't speak for a very long time is going to be very 
triggering because there's bringing up all the old shames, the guilts, the fears that come along with it and doing it in smaller increments. This can be a really, it's actually a really good takeaway for people who are learning to speak their truth, speak, speak a small truth and feel how dysregulated you are. And then you can speak a bigger, speak a, speak a bigger truth and then a bigger truth and then more of that truth and more of that truth. And that's how we learn to really fully walk in our truth is exposure therapy. So yeah, hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Catch you guys in the next one.